You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Chris Spangle, the host and founder of We Are Libertarians. And this particular debate was not produced or hosted by We Are Libertarians, Hody, or any of the rest of us here. Um, it was hosted by the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. And they have graciously allowed us to rip the audio for you of their debate and put it up in our feed. And we have some exciting news. Uh, there was a, a, an issue, and the person that was producing the debates for the Libertarian Party of Kentucky was not able to do it anymore. And so they reached out to We Are Libertarians to help provide some tech support. So on Saturday, May 16th at 8 p.m., We Are Libertarians, the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, the Libertarian Party of Missouri, and Reason Magazine will be co-sponsoring a debate uh, at 8 p.m. And it will be hosted on all of our social medias. So you can go to Reason or we are libertarians facebook page and watch it there you can watch it on on youtube uh i believe it'll be on an lp national youtube so we'll see but you can check all that out on saturday night it will be moderated by matt welch of reason and the candidates participating will be adam kokesh joe jorgensen justin amash jacob hornberger and judge jim gray we will also be providing tech support and co-sponsoring the debates on Tuesday night, I think it is 7 or 8 p.m. I should, probably should have looked this up before I did the promo uh, for the vice presidential candidates. And then Wednesday night uh, for the presidential candidates again for a smaller amount as chosen by delegates. So please tune in. We will also put those uh, the audio of those here for you to catch up. But we really appreciate it if you'd go and uh, like those, share those, and get as many people watching as possible. It's a great opportunity for them to see Libertarians debate and show off who your choices are. So thank you so much, and we appreciate you tuning into We Are Libertarians, and we appreciate all of our patrons, because without our patrons, when... The Libertarian Party of Kentucky and Reason Magazine wanted to co-sponsor a debate. We have the technical ability to do so because of the things that we were able to buy because of our patrons. So thank you so much for that. We are able to take advantage of opportunities because of your patronage. And so we truly do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Enjoy this debate. Or, you know, as much as you can when a bunch of libertarians are arguing. We'd like to welcome our viewers to our continuing series of uh, LP presidential programming. Uh, and uh, again, my name is Chris. I'm the Libertarian Party of Kentucky's chair. I'll be moderating tonight's event. We've got a bunch of great uh, candidates on. Um, it's an open forum for, for folks. There will be voting that will be posted um, for supporters or anyone watching in terms of who you'd like to see in additional events. Uh, that'll be up um, towards a little bit later uh, this evening. Um, so the forum tonight, uh, I've got a introductory question um, that I'm going to be asking each of the candidates. There'll be three minutes to answer. Um, I've also got a, um, a, uh, a second question. There'll be two minutes to answer. And then I'll allow each uh, candidate another two minutes to close. 
And so that'll be tonight's uh, forum. And we'll go ahead and get started if I can. Here's the, uh, here's the general softball question for everyone. Um, why don't you tell us about yourself, um, your candidacy, why you're running, um, and uh, you know, just, just introduce yourself to the viewers of our program tonight. And we'll go ahead and we'll start. Um, I'm just going to start kind of how I view this. Actually, I'm going to do it um, uh, based on how everybody's listed on the right there. Uh, Mr. Kokesh. Sorry, I'm getting a little interference on the audio. This is a three-minute introduction, correct? It is. If we can have everybody mute until it's your turn, that would be really helpful. If everybody could just click mute until um, we call on you. That way, we're not getting any feedback or background noise, if everybody doesn't mind. The mute's on the bottom left. If we can get everybody to mute other than Mr. Kokesh, that'd be really helpful. And one second, Adam. Time is... Mr. Kokesh. All right. Thanks so much, Chris, and to the Libertarian Party of Kentucky for putting this together and for everybody who's joining us. And all of my fellow Libertarian Party presidential candidates, especially those joining us tonight, all of whom would obviously be better than Cheeto Jesus or Sleepy Creepy Joe. And it's great to see that we are really running as a team for the Libertarian Party. I think for too long, we have been playing their game, the old party's game of being socially liberal, fiscally conservative. We are neither of these things. We are socially libertarian and fiscally libertarian. And when we play their game, we inherently lose every single time. When we play their game of who should be president, who should support the system, we're not thinking enough outside the box in a libertarian way to say, do, do we need a president? Do we need a centralized, coercive, authoritative government? I say no. And I think this platform that we've developed based on libertarian principles of localization of government, of taking the federal government through a bankruptcy process that leaves us with up to 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations is not only the only possible principled libertarian presidential platform, but it's also the best way that we can unite people around libertarian principles. In a lot of states, secession is already polling over 25%, better than any libertarian presidential candidate ever has. If we make libertarianism about localization, decentralization, the way Larry Sharp says it, I think is brilliant. You can be as liberal or as conservative as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody else. Let's make that a reality. So I came to this conclusion and came to run from a, a conversation that happened at Bilderberg in 2012. Don't worry, I wasn't there as an attendee. I was there as a journalist on the outside and I got to meet uh, Jason Burmis, the original Info Warrior, and Alex Jones. And he challenged me to say, well, what would you do if you were president? And what do you mean? I would quit, go home and get a real job. I, we sh nobody should have this power over other human beings. If you give me the ring of power, I will throw it directly into the fire. And my background is from primarily being in the United States Marine Corps for six and a half years as a reservist with three years of active duty time, one combat tour in Fallujah in 2004 that led me to join Iraq Veterans Against the War and become a much more passionate anti-war and especially anti-militarism libertarian. 
We can unite people if we can be the principled anti-war party. We can unite people if we can make our message about localization, if we can make it about everybody gets what they want. And that's what localization is. It's the everybody gets what they want strategy. When government is localized down to the community level, it's customized, it's transparent, it's accountable, based on your values, set up to meet your needs. Let's give people what they want and win. Um, the next uh, speaker, uh, Andy Williams, Jr. Mr. Williams. Andy, you got it. Hey, everybody. Uh, oh, I'm unmuted. You're good. Okay. Hey, I'm Andy Williams. Uh, Andy Hope Williams, Jr. out of Illinois. Um, was born and raised in Illinois. Stepmother was white, so I kind of grew up a little different um, than some of my, my friends. Got involved in uh, the path of what I call discovery. Got involved in gangs, drugs, prison. Um, wind up turning my life uh, on a righteous path and had been working in the community, just doing uh, great things, trying to help the people out. Um, and a year ago today is when I decided to run for president. And one of the reasons, uh, the main reasons I decided to run for president, because a lot of people in my race are always complaining about the problem but they're not stepping up to be a solution. They're not looking at opportunities of, of serving and um, just being a change. And one of the biggest things on the campaign trail for me is the 1994 crime bill, which had affected my generation the most. And when I looked at the voting record out of Illinois, every Democrat voted yes, and every Republican voted no. And out of Illinois, you know, it's a big blue state. So many people are still voting Democrat just on the label. And coming across libertarian, the platform is what my people have always been asking for. Liberty, freedom, justice, decriminalization of drugs, um, just the freedom of choice. <clears throat> and so in the campaign, I am what I consider uh, freedom of choice, the, the freedom man. Um, and it's time for a new generation. There's no more time to, to be making excuses about who's not doing what. Can I get a handout? Please help me. It's time for us to rise up and be the change we want to see in this world, be the solution. And it has to be done by any means necessary. And a lot of times people are saying, well, what are you going to do for the black people? What are you going to do for any different? Well, I'll tell you what makes me different. I have a track. I own a, a, a patent. I've created jobs. I do some painting. I hire, work with all ex-offenders. Um, was when I was arrested, the chief of police, he wasn't the chief of police, but he became the chief of police. Him and I have worked together. And at the current, mo at the current moment that I'm aware of, I filed a suit against Illinois Governor Pritzker and Donald Trump on April 13th about my freedom and my liberty. Um, last Monday on the 27th, I filed another civil suit against the city of Aurora, which is my hometown for discrimination. Because for liberty, for me, is showing by example. What I saw is that the Department of Justice is the best law firm that a person could have. I saw on February 12, 2017, the Department of Justice sued the city of Baltimore and the mayor and the city council. That's what I feel we need to do to have for accountability. Because as long as we keep talking about the problem and not stepping up defending and representing liberty, we'll just be another, you know, politician, an, another party. And I think for the Libertarian Party to move forward, specifically around the 
black vote and the voting rights and stuff like that. We need to start filing suits, the Libertarian Party, on behalf of the people that we're trying to represent. And that would bring our party to a new level. It would show us that we're serious about our liberty, we're serious about people's freedoms, and we're serious about people's rights. Thank so you, that's me, the Hood Candidate. Um, the next uh, speaker will be Mr. Vora. Mr. Vora? My name is Arvind Vora, and I'm running for president to end the welfare state and end the income tax. I believe in ending all parts of the welfare state, government schools, Medicare, Medicaid, and every other thing that is specifically designed to keep people dependent on government. On my first day, I've pledged to pardon Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Ross Ulbricht, and every single nonviolent drug user, seller, or trafficker, followed by anyone in jail who's just there for a weapon possession charge, a cryptocurrency charge, or a sex work charge. All right. The nominee, the 2020 nominee is going to need to make a choice between fighting for libertarian principles and pandering to status culture. Here's my view. Our culture, this culture has produced this government. And if we knock down this exact government today, if we got that ANCAP dream knocking down this government today, then this culture would recreate this exact government tomorrow. In 2019, we saw that with a partial government shutdown. Voters, not politicians, voters on both Democrats, uh, both the Democrat and Republican side clamored to bring back that tiny little bit of government that we lost. I believe that libertarianism cannot be fit into a status paradigm. I believe that it's a fool's errand to try to warp our beautiful philosophy into a small box that it was never designed for. I wanna read a few things to you. Uh, that might be some kind of, a, of expansion of a Medicaid-style system or something like that that's handled at the state level and gives people the assurance that when things aren't going well for them and they need some health care and they don't have the insurance to cover it, there will be someone to cover it. But when you do things like that, it needs to be understood that the government will have to make decisions about what's covered and what's not. Ladies and gentlemen, that was not written by Barack Obama. That was a quote from Justin Amash in Reason Magazine, the most libertarian audience you can get, the most libertarian journalism you can possibly get, and that's what he did with it. Justin Amash has also voted to increase funding for government schools. The Ron Paul Institute said of one of his recent 10-minute interviews that in 10 minutes of media time, he didn't say one single libertarian thing. That is not the nominee that we need. We need somebody that will fight to end government, who will fight against the state's sacred cows, who will fight against status culture, who will fight to bring back complete, true, absolute liberty to America. And I am that candidate. To learn more about me, please visit votevora.com. Thank you, Mr. Vora. Our next candidate will be Eric Gerhardt. Eric? Uh, Eric, you might be muted. Alrighty. So hello, everybody. My name's Eric Gerhardt. I'm a 17-year-old carpenter uh, working for myself for the last six years with my own business. Been talking politics with 
every construction person I know since I started, everybody had something to say and just evolved into they're not doing it right. And we need to come out here and just speak our mind, what we feel in our hearts to start the conversations that need to happen for change to happen. Because if you don't talk about it continually, nothing's going to happen. And you got to say it over and over again. That's why I have my uh, immunity law that I'd like to have people start to pick up where politicians lose their political immunity during election cycles. I think that's a quick fix that they'll have to straighten up on their own terms because it should be liberty and justice for all, not you're in the government and you play by a whole set different rules. So that's only one of the main fixes that need to be done. Plus the presidency to me, it's the commander in chief based on their bond with the Indians back in the day. They, they based it on uh, Indian chief's role where he looks after his community, which is the entire nation and makes decisions based on what's best for everybody. And we've kind of gotten away from that. It's more toward a kingship now where you get the power and then you do whatever you want instead of being a check and balances to make sure our government that work below the president do their job properly and pass good bills and not just sneak things in. Cause that's what, it, that's what the veto is for. I mean, they, they don't use it as much cause they got to cut deals to get everything done anymore. But, you know, somebody's got to come in there and just start dropping the hammer. It's like, no, we're not doing that. Make a better plan. Do it again. I mean, we need things to move a lot quicker. But if you allow it to move so quick, you make so many mistakes. And, I mean, we're in the situation we are right now. The whole country shut down for no apparent reason. All the numbers point to we should be opening back up in the next two weeks. Granted, there's going to be a lot of bad happenings from here till when we open up and everything and all the trickle down effects that we haven't even experienced yet. But uh, it, it can't be a new normal. You can't be losing rights every day, constantly having to go and protest on city council steps because they're trying to pass things that we don't want. Like, I, I mean, it's it's a perfect storm. For, I see it with everybody being home and being able to spend their time with their families and pay attention to politics at this very crucial, important time. And uh, that's all I got to say about it. Our next speaker will be uh, James Ogle. Mr. Ogle. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Okay. Hi, I'm James Ogle. Thank you very much for everyone. Uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for your time, the free speech. Uh, I was born in Alabama and went to several colleges, including the Art Institute of Chicago. I studied art and architecture, University of Oregon. I ended up in Carmel in 1981 as an artist, opened a gallery. I was working with some fellows. We were running candidates for city council, county supervisors, and uh, walking down the street. One of our 
friends is running for mayor. I look at the headlines, Clint running for mayor. So that was one of my first challenges. I went to the debates, but the reason why I mentioned Clint is somewhat of a libertarian and um, uh, he was friends with Ronald Reagan, hired his uh, campaign manager, Sue Hutchinson. She invited everyone to Clint's tea party, which I went to, which I thought it was kind of strange, but um, basically in that election, the libertarian won. Um, I, I later moved to Santa Cruz in uh, 89 and the earthquake of 89, Loma Prieta, afterwards, my building was demolished. The first one demolished Cooper House. Um, everything inside, all the businesses lost everything, but the building was not that badly damaged. I was campaigning on the internet in 92, talking about how um, FEMA had come in and demolished all the businesses. I kind of got recruited by the Libertarian Party. Me and a group of people ran for city council of Santa Cruz, and I found out about proportional representation because we wanted to divide the city into seven districts. But um, my neighbor told me, did you know about pure proportional representation where you could live anywhere in the city simply by using numerals, um, you get representation by that person on the city as a whole, whether they live near you or across town. So I, I thought that was a really um, great equation based on percentages, the Hagenbach-Bischoff method developed by the Swiss physicist, Edward Hagenbach-Bischoff around the 1900s. So I kept campaigning. I ran for Congress in 93, Leon um joined Bill Clinton's staff. So our congressional district came open. I ran for that as a write-in. There was 23 candidates. I was one of five who advanced. And then in 94, um, I, I ran for governor in the state of California and I got my statement about proportional representation printed on all the ballots. Then this fellow from the Pot Party kind of joined and he sort of took over and everyone was voting for him. And um, we ran, ran him for president. I was wrote every secretary of state. I didn't know, but he had uh, cancer. He was a medical patient. He, and so he, he stood down. So I ran in his stead in 96. I was a libertarian. I, and so I conducted this online virtual voting where you use the Hagenbach-Bischoff method with ranked choice voting. And uh, we had 125 um, presidential candidates from 25 different parties and Harry Brown, the libertarian wine. Is my time up there? It is, sir. We'll, we'll get okay, back. I, thought I, I apologize. I thought I heard a beeper there. Thank you. Yep. Um, our next speaker will be Jedi Hill. Jedi? You're muted. Make sure you unmute. Yep. Hello, everybody. I'm Jedi Hill, short for Jedediah. So yes, first four letters are J-E-D-I. Uh, which can give the party the best name recognition just from the movies, if nothing else, because enough people are upset with the current system. I, and I remember in Ohio, back in 2016, there were 18,000 votes for a bear just because people are tired of the system. Um, brief little bit about me. I was a Boy Scout for several years, author of a book, Alchemy and the Master's Path, Create Your Common Peace. I started out with medical fields, construction, you know, done everything from roofings to foundations, done the different leadership roles, working with crews, things like that. So those give me a good background space. And the biggest things are with the psychology and learning how to master your mind. Because if we don't get over the fear, we're not gonna have liberty. What's happening right now with this COVID-19 
is people are scared out of their minds from the mainstream media. And we've got to get you thinking a different way. I'm, yeah, it's a virus. I'm, the percentages, when you actually look at the final death rate, will be right around what the common flu is. Even if it's a little bit more, we have things that are much worse that the government's doing, such as all the pigs and everything being killed due to all the FDA overregulation and not being able to sell directly to people. So we got to get the government out of things as much as possible. I'm, they're forcing the medical field to, only treat COVID-19. So we're having all kinds of people die from heart disease, cancer, and everything else by them not being able to get treated the way they would normally. We need to get our government out of everything possible and let the private market do things. And for me, there's just a few small areas to focus on. My big one's a World Harmony Treaty. And we get that, you know, where trade doesn't flow, bullets go. So we got to focus more on trade and working with the other countries. So we can all help each other out. We can all grow and have harmony. Education, get our government out of it and give individualized education. And with what's available with tech and everything online, like what we're doing right now, you know, everybody can have individualized education based on what their skill sets are. So we can all grow and be unique. <laughs> um, I mentioned the healthcare briefly. And like I said, I started out with massage, with osteopaths, chiropractors, you know, the psychology. So I've got to see the healthcare from all different angles, worked in hospitals, and it's really just sick care. And it's because of the pharmaceutical industries controlling the colleges and having the monopolies through government. So we got to get that out so we can lower the prices and give people more options for their healthcare. Fix our food supply, get the government out of the food supply and stop paying people to plow their vegetables back under the ground. We have more than enough resources for everybody if we let the free economy move it around. And on the, oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, we, we will get back to you guys. Um, Kenneth Blevins, Mr. Blevins, uh, make sure you unmute yourself. All right, I'm Kenneth Blevins. I've been a welder and pipe fitter for about uh, 16, 17, 18 years. I've actually, uh, you know, my father was a welder and pipe fitter, my grandfather. So I've pretty much grown up in that, in that field in the, with the, all these construction workers and blue collar workers. And that's who I am. I'm not a politician. I've never claimed to be. I don't want to be. But what I do want is to help my country out and to help the people I work with out because it's people like us the construction workers, the, you know, the retail workers, the farmers. That's what keeps this country going. It's not the big wigs up there in Washington. It's not the people in New York that are just funneling money here and there. It's the people actually produce. So that's who I'm working for. And uh, I have a background in athletic training, which is the assessment, prevention, and treatment of athletic injury. And using what I've known from that, it, it, it applies to government too. I mean, we can look at the history and where we went wrong and how we can fix that and work that in there. My biggest issue right now is, you know, we, we have a, we've had the two party system for so long that that's all anybody knows. And we have to really work to get the word out that there's a better way. You don't have to vote left or right. You know, the third party is a valid, a valid option because it's the right option. It gives you the most freedom 
and it limits you know limit the size of government and give you give you the power. And a lot of these other guys have already touched on it. You know, localization, reducing the size of government, uh, reducing the cost of medical care, all of this stuff. And like I said, and localization is actually something that's very constitutional. One of the jobs of the president is to you know protect the constitution obey and protect the constitution and if you look at the 10th amendment it gives the power to the states that aren't in the constitution and aren't you know and aren't a let's see the it gives the powers respectfully to the states that aren't denied by the constitution or provided by the constitution so as long as it's protected by the constitution the states can't do anything as long as it's you know not directly in the constitution the states have that domain and we need to get back to that in order to get a smaller federal government another problem we have is just the career politicians in congress you have people that have been up there for 40 years that have no no bounds to their constituents anymore the people that voted them in they've been so far gone from that and so far gone from that life, they'd no longer have any touch with really the base of reality. So right. I guess that's my time. Thank you. Um, we will get back to you. Um, Bill Gray, Mr. Gray, uh, make sure you unmute yourself. Bill, make sure you unmute yourself. Bill. All right. Um, maybe not. Um, Bill, just type in the chat. And, uh, there we go. Go ahead, sir. Hi, I'm Bill Gray. I'm seeking the Libertarian nomination for President of the United States. We live in challenging times. COVID-19, staggering debt, crippling government overreach beset us on all sides. I have a solid plan to reduce the debt and reduce those bottlenecks that prevent us from getting the supplies we need to deal with this crisis ourselves. Government interference has worsened this challenge. Getting the government out of the way will let us get on with our lives. We have added trillions to our kids' debt. Let those who benefit by paying down our debt by doing so voluntarily, pay our debt. Let, in the process, they will save money and dig out from their own bills, decriminalize the use of drugs, and we end the drug war. And let those get on with their lives. Those who have been damaged by the war on drugs get on with their lives. Let the immigrant pay for entry and pay to stay if they choose voluntarily. They can help us rebuild as they get on with their lives. This election will be 38 electoral votes. If we win a couple of states, 
if we win the suburbs and neither red nor blue, we can win this election. I believe that we should. I believe that we ought to pay off the national debt voluntarily by allowing those who benefit pay it for us. If we do not pay the debt, as some have suggested, Donald Trump has added $7 trillion to the debt. That is a rip off of our, our children, our grandchildren. If we repudiate the national debt, that will be $27 trillion that are, is ripped off. And it will be libertarians to do it. The Libertarian Party is better than this. We can adjust the debt. We can make ourselves prosperous. We can get the government out of our lives. And we can do it together. I'm Phil Gray. I'm seeking the Libertarian nomination for President of the United States. Thank you, Mr. Gray. Um, our next uh, speaker will be, um, and I'm never going to get your last name right, but I'm going to do my best with this, um, Soreen Ardalineu. You can correct me, but uh, if you can unmute and you can correct me on your name and then we'll start your time. <laughs> Hi, I'm Serene Ardalianu. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm running for president of the United States of America because I do not have a choice. It was literally destroying me not to run. I tried imagining doing a million different things and I kept being brought back to this place. And I knew that I was going to run about 20 years ago. See, um, I'm the only child of a couple immigrant parents. My father was from Romania where he defected in the 70s for religious freedom. And my mother was from Russia where she was able to leave in the 70s as well for religious freedom. And um, I was born in Queens, New York and I'd been in San Francisco pretty much since I was three, minus four years when I ran away when I was 14. Uh, my mother, as much as she wanted the best for me, she didn't know how to influence my behavior with integrity. So she used extreme force. Um, I was physically abused pretty much every day of my life until I ran away when I was 14. And um, living with my father for a few years was very beneficial. I graduated high school in two and a half years. And when I became free to pursue whatever I wanted with my life, I got into psychology because I really wanted to understand what drives behavior. I especially wanted to understand why do people harm others? Why do people harm themselves? And where I landed was our values, that everything that any of us do comes from our values. And so I thought, well, where do our values come from? And I realized, well, they come from our education systems. They come from our media. They come from our authority figures. They come from politicians, healthcare, celebrities. And I realized that if I really wanted to make a massive positive impact in the world, that I was going to have to run for president because I believe that the president of the United States has the power to not only influence the behaviors in America, but across the world, because we are still the leaders of the free world, even today. I don't know how long that would uh, remain a true statement if things don't change soon. And so that's part of the reason I'm running. 
And so 20 years ago, I had this realization about values and running for president. And around the same time, I was also starting to notice a lot of people around me complaining about the world that we live in, about politicians, about policy, but not actually offering solutions or wanting to get involved. And so it was really difficult for me to see this lack of personal accountability and responsibility, and also just seeing politicians making promises that they didn't keep or intend to keep. And so that was kind of the beginning of knowing that I was going to be running. And then about 11 years ago now, I went on disability. Um, I was selling exotic cars and managing dealerships. I worked for companies like Bentley, Lamborghini, Lotus, Tesla, Spiker, and I did really well, but I was miserable. I was dying on the inside because the people I worked for only cared about money. They didn't actually care about doing the right thing. Um, we will get back with you. Um, Steve Ritchie. Mr. Ritchie, if you can unmute and uh, tell us about yourself. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. My name is Steve Ritchie. I live in Honolulu, Hawaii, and I drive a FedEx truck. I've been doing that for the last 23 years. And I would never have dreamed of running for president until a few years ago when I started noticing that our government was in the process of enriching itself more than standing up for our rights. And a careful study of the Declaration of Independence led me to believe that our government was invented to be by the people of the people and for the people and to protect people's rights. And that's the only reason we have government. Government is not even supposed to be making money. It's not supposed to be involved in business. So I started my campaign based on the idea that the last thing America needs is another billionaire, celebrity, or career politician to continue the bad habits of previous generations of politicians before them. But the more I started investigating this and I started getting involved with the Libertarian Party, I began to realize that my own past is what led me to be dissatisfied with the way our government is running. And it all started when I was raised by my parents on a goat farm in rural Kentucky, and we didn't have a television, we didn't have much of anything at all, we were on a goat farm. And what I learned is that you can't sell somebody fake news when they're on a goat farm. So I would go to school every day and hear the kids talking about whatever the hell was going on in the world. And it was quite pretty easy for me to point out inconsistencies in their story because when you're on a goat farm, either the goats got out or the goats didn't get out and you still have to go milk them at the end of the day. So just I learned to be self-reliant. When something goes wrong and you're in the middle of nowhere, you got to take care of yourself. Later in life, I moved to Hawaii. I can became a Buddhist. And I learned that one of the primary principles of Buddhism is money is simply not important. People are important. And you would be better off taking care of as many people around you as possible and not worrying about money. And the minute you stop thinking about life in terms of money, you become automatically rich. I also learned that Buddhists believe in taking care of yourself first, then taking care of your family, and then taking care of those around you who are not able to take care of themselves. Once again, this leads to self-reliance and the libertarian principles of not relying on government to solve all of your problems for you. So I was running on a campaign originally of, I actually said I'm the candidate 
who's running for president but doesn't want to be president because actually it's a pretty crappy job. You're going to get blamed for anything that goes wrong. Even if things go right, people are still going to find something to complain about. And look at this mess you're going to inherit when you go into Washington, D.C. as the new president. You're going to have suddenly be blamed for all of the stuff that the previous politicians did wrong. All right, uh, we're going to finish with a uh, with our last uh, question. It's a combined question, um, kind of a closing argument if you want to turn it into that. But this is really a uh, a chance for you to pitch your candidacy, what you've done to date with your race, um, and there's going to be a poll at the end of this. Why uh, you know why the folks watching um, should vote to hear from you guys again. This is kind of your pitch to the folks that are watching, um, and we'll go ahead and again and start with Mr. Kokash. Mr. Kokash. Three minutes, sir. All right, thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. And to all my fellow candidates joining us today, again, one of the challenges that we face in 2020 as the Libertarian Party in differentiating ourselves is making sure that we're offering a real alternative to the American people. And we've heard from not just the candidates today, but all the other Libertarian candidates in the race, except a handful, I do want to single out Dan Taxation, Steph Berman, uh, John McAfee, and Arvin Vorha with us today, who actually have plans to re-engineer what government is in some meaningful way. And I think if we don't give people that, we're not going to be able to unify the American people around the Libertarian Party. What I'm offering with localization, I've heard a couple other candidates mention it, and nobody's for centralization. Nobody's for a, a central authority that's violent and coercive, and yet all of these people who are running for president are running to maintain it. We're extremely polarized as a country right now. And I don't want to have a libertarian candidate who's going to create a third polar uh, polarity that now instead of being a bipolar country, we're a tripolar country and we have more fighting and more polarization. We know that libertarianism itself is more of an ethical message, a philosophical message than a political message. You know, don't hit, don't steal, don't kill, not unless you're a soldier or a cop or uh, an IRS agent. No, these are fundamental human ethical values that the libertarian principles apply to politics. So far in this race, I've raised more money than any other candidate. And as of a few months ago, 10 times all of the other candidates combined we absolutely need uh, at least a certain amount of money to make sure that our winning message is multiplied into the general population to be competitive. I believe I've done more interviews and gotten more media than all of the other candidates at this point, and it's because I've got the hustle. I've got the team. I've got a great press secretary, a great social media coordinator, a great campaign manager, and I've got the hustle. I've gotten out over the last two years and gone to more state conventions than any other candidate. I've done more events. I'm sitting here right now on our campaign bus, sidelined, unfortunately, for, from coronaphobia, but that didn't stop us from having a wedding here this weekend. I got married at the Garden of Freedom to the love of my life, the new Samantha Kokesh. Uh, I've got four businesses that I run that really signify what it means to be a libertarian. I've got my media with Adam versus the man. I've got this facility here where I have my homestead, the Garden of Freedom, big igloo geodesics helping people make off-grid homes and other structures, and the freedomline.com, my freedom book and merchandise, which has now got over 3 million downloads and over a quarter million copies in print. If you believe that we need to succeed and have a breakthrough year for 2020, 
We need to look honestly at what works. And it's a fantasy to believe that a candidate whose message has not been successful in the past is suddenly going to be successful as the nominee. Let's stick with what works. Please vote for me in the Libertarian Party of Kentucky poll. And if you're not a member already, join us at LP.org. Thank you very much, Chris, and everybody else. Being on. Um, Andy Williams, um, you are next, sir. Three minutes. Well, <clears throat> I'm running on a three-point platform. Human rights, number one. That's something that we're born with. Nobody can govern you unless you allow them to govern you. It's freedom of choice. The second one is criminal justice reform. I'm talking about abolishing the prison industrial complex. It's real easy. It started out as a, a Department of Corrections. I believe that that should be, people should be trained up in their home and they should have the right resources to be able to do that. We need to change the educational system so it's no longer indoctrination, but enlightenment. Enlighten us about the truth about our history. The third one is economic empowerment, specifically entrepreneurship. I was born in the trades with my father, so I believe vocational school training, uh, businesses, without all the red tape. If you're running your own business, you don't need permission from the government to run your business. Um, as long as you're not harming nobody, I think there needs to be some sort of gauge for education, but what I have is blueprints that have been successful in the, in the past. So if we want to... Uh, reduce crime, we have to provide economic opportunities. This is my simple plan. A couple bonuses. My wife is Puerto Rican, so we have a, a big campaign for uh, Puerto Rico, letting them have the, the right to choose and taking care of them as uh, fellow brothers and sisters um, and rebuilding it from the, from the hurricane. Then as it comes to example <clears throat> about holding people accountable, when Governor Pritzker filed uh, this executive order, I was not only the only libertarian candidate, but the first candidate to file a lawsuit against Governor Pritzker and Donald Trump in Illinois. There's no press about it, but I didn't do it for the press. I did it for liberty, for freedom. As my brother from Hawaii said with the Buddha principles, you got to look out for yourself first. So that's what I'm doing. The second lawsuit, which I filed against the city of Aurora, was about criminal justice reform, police accountability. These are the things that uh, the poor, the oppressed, the disenfranchised is important to them. That is why I branded myself as the hood candidate. I'm the candidate that comes from the hood, walks amongst the brothers, talks amongst the brothers. I believe in uniting America on the, on the basis of desegregation, but I have the experience. My stepmom is white. I grew up with a white German mom last grade of school I completed was eighth grade. It's what she instilled on me as a youth, as a young man that gave me the education. And I believe that education is what has kept me, what has allowed me to have the confidence in myself from seeing my father being a business owner to believe that I can do whatever I want to do. When it comes to leading the United States of America, it's not about leading from a position of authority. It's about a position of servanthood. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Uh, Mr. Vora, the time is yours. Arvin, make sure you unmute. Make sure you unmute. Okay. All right, there we go. All right. Adam Kokesh is definitely right about one thing, which is that libertarianism is more than just a political issue. It's more than just a politician's way of approaching 
uh, political problems. It is uh, something deeper than that. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. And for me, libertarianism has been something that has been run through my entire life. It is part of why I'm an entrepreneur. It's part of why I believe in taking on the role of helping the community as something that needs to be done voluntarily, not coercively. Uh, like Adam, I've had a decent amount of, main, of major media. Adam has had more. There's no question about that. But I do believe that I can hold my own in a major media interview. In a five-minute interview, I promise you this. I will talk more about major cuts to government than, just, than Justin Amash will talk about in a 10-minute interview or a 20-minute interview or a 10-month interview for that matter. One of the major things that I've done recently to echo my dedication to making sure that libertarianism is something that we can do by individual choice is something called the AP Homeschool Project. That's a combination of workers from my campaign staff and my business creating something for the community, something that will allow anyone who's willing to do the morally right thing in education to also be doing the educational best thing for their children. But to me, the most important part of libertarianism comes down to this question of strategy. I, like many of you, have never really known the strategically right answer. No one would have known that someone like Trump would have been the strategically right candidate, even though he was, as we can see after the fact. But I can tell you this, I've always known what the right thing to do is. And to me, the right thing to do right now to fight the culture war we need to in libertarianism is to speak clearly and unambiguously. Adam is somebody that I respect a lot, and Adam, you know that. And yet, the emphasis on localization, I believe that's too ambiguous. Because when you say end the federal government, people get that. When you say localization, it's easy to misinterpret. And the one thing I promise you is nothing I say is going to be easy to misinterpret. I will absolutely be talking about things in the clearest, most brazen, most unapologetic way possible. When I talk about leaving NATO, shutting down foreign military bases, bringing the troops home, people know exactly what we're talking about. When I talk about ending the war on drugs by pardoning everyone, people know exactly what I mean. Abolishing government schools, people know exactly what I'm trying to cut. I want to close this by asking a question to Justin Amash or any of his campaign that's listening. I've been going through your websites, you're on the issues pages, and I still cannot figure out what part of government you want to cut. I don't know if you want to cut anything at all. I know what Adam wants to cut the whole thing. I know what a lot of other candidates want to cut as well. But what are you actually trying to cut? I think we need an answer to that question. And I hope to get a chance to debate you to make you answer it. Well, uh, Mr. Gerhardt, the time is yours. All right. Thank you. Well, my basis is for education. It's first and foremost that we educate our youth properly whether it be life skills so that they can survive on their own through business management where we get rid of the high level academics in schools so that they don't if they're not going to go to college because they know they can't afford it they made that choice already or had, don't have that choice they get something they can use business management as a high level math instead like i said shop classes like tradesmen myself like People learn better with their hands on and need to bring back home ec and all that stuff so that the creativity of a child can come out on its own. They find what they like to do. I didn't go to college for the simple fact I had no clue what degree I want to get. 
wasn't going to waste my money on some just some degree just to go. So I picked up a trade, been mastering it myself. Now I'm moving on to something else. Granted, I have no chance this time, but you know, all the experience I've gained from coming out and meeting some people, facing my personal fears of my social anxieties, this isn't too bad. When I go in front of a couple hundred people, get all choked up and knots in my stomach. It's a something I have to face myself. And I'm challenging myself to be a better man every day. And I want everybody out there to do the same thing, even in their weakness, to know that they can be a better person just by trying. And through Liberty and the stories of my teachers, which goes back to the way Indians used to teach their, their families is through the stories of their ancestors. A lot of my teachers talk through stories from their teachers had taught them. And it's kind of more of a regional thing. This being I'm in Pennsylvania near Philadelphia where Declaration of Independence was written. Stories have been passed down through generations to the schools where I went. And we need to continue that and expand that to other places so that it's not just your region's history where you get polarized to Democrat or Republican. You need to get the full picture of both sides, correct histories, so that you make the educated decision. And we wouldn't be in the situation if everybody actually knew enough history to make it an informed decision. Multiple other things. I mean, I'm for guns. I'm for decriminalizing drugs. Rationally, of course. I mean, not just opening up the floodgates because we got to regulate the FCC so that they don't just allow things to come out and put addictive properties into things again. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gerhardt. Uh, our next, um, our, our next uh, speaker will be Mr. Ogle. Uh, Mr. Ogle, your uh, closing pitch. Uh, so you're, yeah. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, back to limited voting to as it applies to the Electoral College. When they wrote the U.S. Constitution, they gave all the electors two votes, one vote for president, one vote for vice president. That's called approval voting. Um, <clears throat> limited voting is when you have fewer votes than there are seats available. Since there's two seats, that would mean each elector should only have one vote. Now, um, if that would bring a three-party system so that when the 538 um, electors first they vote for president, once one name attains 33.33 plus one vote, they are president, then they don't get another vote. It's a new set who votes for vice president. Whoever gets 33.33% plus one vote is vice president. But if one vote switched to the loser, they would be the winner. That's how you get the three-party system. Now, under the math of this Hagebach-Bischoff um, method, the Droop quota, you could also calibrate and elect all 538 electors simultaneously with plenty of backups. So number one would be president, number two would be vice president, and you'd have plenty of backup. So that's what we're doing in California. We just elected a um, 538 electoral college using paper ballots. I have all the paper ballots here as proof, if you can see them, um, but I'd be, be happy to um, supply copies to everyone. And we also have um, almost 800 names, plenty of backups. We want to go to the 3,000 to 5,000 number of electors under George Washington's Article the First, 
where you would have one congressperson or one elector for every 50,000 voters. So you would have a much bigger Congress. Um, now, another thing, this, it's a unity of a 100% of the people because uh, we give people the, it's, it's about words and numerals on paper ballots. That's how you get the unity. When people are standing around and they can handle the paper ballots, they could see that it was done correctly with ranked numerals. They buy in to 50% um, plus one as a majority or the 538 Electoral College. Now, if you look at the 2016 Electoral College from the Johnson Weld um, campaign, um, I studied that and there's only about 18% female names. So they did not attain 33% of libertarian electors. So what our campaign, my campaign did at the California Convention, I signed up 28 of the 55 electors were female names, 27 were male, um, and the whole nation, if we could get closer to 50-50, then um, say you have a good female candidate, under approval voting, it takes about 55% the way the libertarian nominates president. So you'd have to get, um, you know, some of, um, say, men to, to cross over to vote for a, a woman for a president. So that's, those are some of the changes. I wish I could tell you some more about it. It, it brings in the whole, um, the 100% to be part of the Electoral College. Um, just for our candidates, if you all have a website and you post it in the chat, we will get it posted on our uh, Facebook. And um, that way, if anybody's viewing wants to view your website, we'll, we'll get that shared. Just put that in the chat for us. We'll get it out on our website. Um, Mr. Hill, you're next. Hello, hello. So my slogan here for it is we all win because that's what my goal is, whether I win or I win to help create a country where we all win. And one of the first things we've got to do is look at actually educating the masses because a large portion of this country doesn't even understand what the word liberty means. It's not just doing what you want when you want to do it. It's having the resources, AKA money to do what you want when you want to do it. And if you want people to pay less taxes and before paying less taxes, let's teach people how to be entrepreneurs and make money then they're not going to want to pay taxes either because they're making money. I Something I'm working with, whether I win or I win, is working with some people on a sophisticated affiliate tracking system that is complete voluntary. Uh, we already got partnerships set up with many of the big box stores from Walmart, Target, Macy's, Victoria's Secret, Hotels.com, et cetera, for how we can create a participatory economy and help me people make money and give the voting power by the buying power back to people through a sophisticated affiliate tracking system. Um, and as we do this, we, we can eliminate poverty and everything through the private sector. And when we have a better economy, people are trading, people are doing things, they're gonna want more freedom because they have more to be freedom with. They're not just in scarcity survival mode and we start leveling the playing field for the Libertarian Party by using big data and appealing to people's base emotions instead of trying to apply to their logic. And this is what I learned from both Obama and Trump is you can't talk to people up here cerebrally, which is where we Libertarians mess up because many of us are geeks and nerds. We have to appeal to the base emotions 
to get people to change because that's what we make decisions on based on the brain. And I'm going to work with the party, whether this goes through all the way or not, I will be here for years and years helping to improve this party and help any true libertarian go further forward so we can create a country where we all win. Uh, you can find me Facebook, Jedi Hill or Jedi for USA. Feel free, ask me a question, send me a message. I'm here to help you all so we can create a country where we all win. You're muted, Chris. Oh, that doesn't help. Our next candidate will be Mr. Blevins. Mr. Blevins? One of the things I want to do with my, with my, uh, my candidacy is we need to hold Congress accountable. And the, there's, there's two parties, that, or there's two entities that can do that. That's the, voter, the voters and the president. The president has veto power. He has executive order power. He can use that to, to hold Congress accountable. He also has a platform to expose Congress for what they're doing. So we need transparency to allow everybody to see what Congress is doing. I mean, whether financially or just through the whole uh, legislative process. Uh, my biggest issue right now is I want term limits. You get a lot of these con congressional members, uh, once they get, once they actually get in office, if they're in a extremely red or extremely blue district, then there's, I mean, no one from that district from their own party is going to run against them. And there's very slim chance that anyone from another party is going to be able to compete. Through term limits, we can actually open up those options for either a third party or even a, another not so in line candidate, you know, that's in, that just steps party party line uh, to get in there and make a, a real change in the way that congressional members hold their office and uh and we need and we need localization you know like adam has said over and over and over like steve said i've said it many times if you start at your home your neighborhood your community work there and it's going to make a bigger impact you're going to you're going to be more efficient with the money you spend than trying to look at a national or global level so uh term limits transparency you know, holding our, holding our Congress accountable. They're supposed to represent us. They don't represent us. They represent corporations, lobbyists, people who pay to get them into office so they can uh, use, use our tax money to fund their own, own private and own public organizations that just go to make them money. It doesn't help us out. So we need to restrict Congress, the power they have, and that's what I'm. That's what I plan to do. Uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a blue collar guy. That's all I've ever done, and that's who I'm working for. So I will bust my ass for the working class. If you put me in the office, if you put me as a nominee, that's who I'm going to relate to. I'm going to get every blue collar uh, blue collar voter I can on board with the libertarian message that by vote by voting for us. You're going to be able to keep more of your money. You're going to be able to keep it in your community. You're going to be able to help out yourself, your family, your neighborhood, your community more than more so than voting red or blue. So, right. yeah. Thanks, sir. 
Um, our next uh, candidate, by the way, um, should be uh, Phil Gray. Phil? Go make sure you're off mute. I want to address a question that I've been asked of Justin Amash. I cannot speak for Justin Amash. He is not here. I can speak for me, however. If we pay down the national debt, every dollar becomes available to loan or invest. We can replace all highway bills, all infrastructure bills, all foreign aid, all farm aid with loans. Repayment of those loans will reduce our national debt and those funds will become available to others. We can replace our infrastructure, we can create jobs. Those jobs will not only balance the federal budget with those cuts, because all of those cuts will be trillions of dollars that we are not spending, but they will also create jobs with more revenue. And those jobs will reduce Medicaid, AFDC, food stamps, welfare, the poverty-based programs. Those monies can only be used for Social Security, Medicare, and to pay down the national debt. So there will be a massive chunk going to the national debt while shoring up those programs, and those monies become available to loan. Loan them internationally. Loan them to poor nations so that they can do infrastructure repairs, so they can create jobs for their people, so that their people can become our customers. No one in history has ever warred on a freely trading partner. If you want to cut defense, we must spread prosperity worldwide. That prosperity will prosper us. We cannot lose. We will win. We will bring our troops home. We will end the drug war. We will do this by decriminalizing the use and leave it to the states how to license vendors. As we do that, we will end the need for the Drug Enforcement Administration, DA. We can knock out the ABC, TABC, we can knock out the ATF. If we decriminalize the immigrant who has come here undocumented and allow them to invest in America in exchange for the right to remain, we can knock out the ICE. We can, between the drugs and immigration, we can uh, limit the border patrol immensely. Thank you. And thank you, Kentucky. Thank you. Our, our next speaker is gonna be uh, Soreen. Soreen, before I turn to you, um, our, we do have a link, uh, it just got posted, uh, lpky.org slash forum, F-O-R-U-M. Um, go ahead and join and uh, please feel free to poll. We will leave it open for about five minutes after the program ends as well. Uh, Soreen, uh, your closing pitch, please. So 
obviously I've overcome a lot of adversity in my life. And I realized the reason that I felt called to run for president is because I have something to offer that no other candidate in any party does. And what that is, is a very deep understanding of what drives human behavior. So I went on with my studies and I have um, education in psychology, psychiatry, especially in hypnosis, magnetism, conditioning. I also have heavy experience in healthcare, having overcome debilitating PTSD. I understand that people need different options. I understand that the current model doesn't work. I understand that the way that government is currently structured is we are not allowing people to reap the natural consequences of their actions. We are interfering. And so not only am I for a government that practices non-aggression, I'm for a government that practices non-interference. And that's exactly why I'm running with the Libertarian Party. Because of the way I was raised, I believe everybody deserves the right to do whatever fulfills them as long as they're not causing harm to anybody else. It's really not my business. It's not the government's business, what anybody else does, as long as they are fulfilled and not bothering anybody else. In my journey the past almost 11 years now doing my own thing, I've been able to heal myself. I've been able to figure out how life works. There is a law and order to the way the universe works. Nothing happens by chance. And the reason that I'm running as libertarian as well is because the libertarian platform is 100% complementary to natural laws. And it also defends the constitution. And right now our government is not doing that. And we need to remember that at the end of the day, that the laws that apply to the rest of nature apply to us, that humans cannot outsmart nature. And so we need a government that's working with nature and not trying to profit at the expense of its people. Um, the other things that I bring to the table is my ability to connect with people from all walks of life. I realized from a really young age that I had this gift of disarming people with my words and with my energy. I had a way of connecting people from different walks of life. I had a way of achieving things that others were not able to, um, also because I'm a bit of an outlier. But I realized that everything that I have applied in my life, I can teach to others and not necessarily in a student teacher environment, but through leading by example, because that's truly the way that we learn and the way that our behaviors change is we see somebody role modeling behavior. And that's why I believe it's very important that whoever the next president of this country is, is somebody who has learned how to reason correctly, who does not make decisions out of emotions, somebody who's able to love all people, no matter where they come from, and somebody who understands what it's like to struggle. Because my mother was worried about making one extra dollar or we would lose it all. You can check me out and learn more about me at serene2020.com. All right, our last uh, uh, speaker this evening, Mr. Ritchie. Mr. Ritchie, the time is yours. Yes, sir. I'm going to focus my remaining time on the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and especially how the pandemic has taught us some lessons. Uh, first of all, the COVID-19 pandemic gets more media attention than any libertarian ever got. I mean, you honestly can't turn on your TV without hearing them talk about it. So I think we ought to hook our wagon to that horse and ride this thing for all it's worth. The first lesson we learn from COVID-19 is that local responses are the most effective and the most people oriented. In my apartment building, if an old person doesn't 
have the means to go out and get groceries, those of us who have to go out for work, bring groceries home for them. It's not a question of money. We're doing it for our neighbors. We're helping people. And people helping people is how you solve a problem. The larger a government organization gets, the slower it is to respond, and the more likely it is to respond with money rather than helping people. For instance, these $1,200 checks that most Americans got, well, that doesn't help people because there's plenty of homeless guys living in front of my apartment building who didn't get a check. They're the ones who need the help more than anybody else. And the, the biggest problem is that money that you get from the government comes with strings attached. My parents, no matter how poor they were, refused to accept welfare. And I always wondered why. I wondered why we were so poor while other people seemed to have more money. And my parents taught me a man in debt is a slave to his debtor. And my parents didn't want to owe anything to our government. So when the government gives a handout of cash trying to solve a pandemic, of course, it doesn't really work. It's not effective. And we all know that they weren't really doing it to solve anything. They were trying to buy our loyalty while they bailed out their wealthy uh, banks and businesses who got a much better deal than we did, by the way. And why is it that the wealthy are so interested in controlling money? It's because they use money given to the people as a platform to buy our votes. The rich 1% can't elect themselves because in an election, the 99% gets to make the decision. So the one thing they can't do is force us to vote. So when the, when the competing duopoly parties start offering more and more money about how much money they're going to give everybody, what it actually ends up doing is suppressing the voters. That's why in 2016, we had almost 48% of the American voting public who did not vote. Now, what, what we have is, when you talk about left and right, you got the Democrats on the left, the Republicans on the right, or should I do this backwards for you guys? Anyway, the libertarians are not exactly in the middle. We're actually in a different dimension. And the voter pool is more or less right there in the middle. What's important to remember is if we can get a reasonable percentage of all those people who didn't vote because they were disgusted by the choices offered in 2016, if we can get a reasonable percentage of people who voted Democrat or Republican just out of party loyalty, we can get enough in here to take this thing with a majority and actually put a libertarian in the White House. Thank you. Uh, just a reminder, I'm going to go ahead and put this up. I don't know if that's showing well or not. We'll have to you know, look again, but um, lpky.org slash forum is the voting platform. It'll be open for another five minutes. Uh, thank you all to our candidates this evening for our discussion. Um, we'll go ahead, we'll do some polling. Hopefully um, uh, the top two will be inviting on to a full, um, a full debate. I don't know if anybody's seen our prior programs. It'll be a full debate uh, Wednesday night. And then um, depending on polling again, we've got uh, our final program Saturday night. Um, there was a program last night as well with candidates uh, Saturday night. Um, Congressman Amash will be joining us for his first uh, Libertarian debate. So we're uh, kind of excited to host that. Um, expect a fiery debate um, that night. Uh, so uh, that's it. Again, lpky.org um, slash forum um, is the uh, link. Uh, please vote. It'll be open for another five minutes. And uh, with that, um, that's our program tonight. Thank you, candidates, for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Peace and love, y'all.
Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate this. Thanks to all of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the invite, and hopefully get to talk to all of you again soon. Thank you all. It's been a wonderful time. Blessing.